it definitely broadened my entry to a broader audience, I think. You think so? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think because I, I mean, had definitely been making a name for myself a bit and, you know, more and more media hits and yeah. that sort of stuff, but always like very, just like the 10 second. And it was, I, I've had a number of people like, and surprising people who've like, oh, I, I listened to that podcast you did with Mo. This is Van Collar. My name is Mo Amir, and today on This is Van Color, in the very last episode of the year, I am joined by one of the most beloved guests of this podcast, making his return from episode 30, which was a 100-minute barn burner, no filler, and it still holds up. He joins me for episode 60, and he's still rattling cages, still kicking up a dust storm, still calling out the hypocrisies, the cynicism the phoniness and the spinelessness of this city's, this province's, and this country's political culture, he needs no further introduction. He is the mayor of Terry Fox's hometown, Port Coquitlam. He is Mayor Brad West. Mayor West, how are you? I'm doing well, Mo. Uh, Two weeks until Christmas. I'm getting excited. (laughs) It's very festive around the West household these days. Yeah? Yeah. You got your... Decorations all set up, trees set up. Trees up. Uh, we have a Grinch uh, blow up that my son is very fond of. And oh, yeah? it's sort of our routine every night. We put the Grinch to bed. Every morning we wake the Grinch up. Oh. So, yeah. Wow. It's, Christmas is uh, a very fun time, especially with a toddler. Well, I'm happy to hear that and I'm happy to see you again. Yeah, it's great to be back. Uh, it's hard to believe uh, that it was February yeah. when we did the podcast. and Time flies. Time flies. <laughs> uh, and there's been a lot of things that have happened since then. So, I have to confess something to you. Okay. Since our first episode together, episode 30, I've been telling everyone within earshot that we're bros. So here's your opportunity to set the record straight on this claim. Okay. Um, I don't know this man. I've barely met this man. Wow. (laughs) No, Mo, we are definitely bros. Oh, thank you so much. See, that's what I've been telling people. Yeah. We still need to do our Ma Now in Poco. Amazing Thai food. We'll make that happen. We'll make that happen because we're bros. We'll bro out over some Pad Thai. That may be my 2020 resolution right there. (laughs) This is a great resolution. (laughs) So I'm just going to call you Brad henceforth. Please do. Not out of disrespect for the office, but because we're bros. None taken. Please do. As a bro, Mm -hmm. I was really disheartened with something that happened to you recently. In November, you were the guest editor at The Star Vancouver. You had an op-ed, but you also had an interview with Joanna Chu, Mm -hmm. in which, per my estimation, you dropped an absolute bombshell. You revealed that some Chinese-Canadian residents in Port Coquitlam were being harassed and intimidated by officials from the Chinese government for social media posts or because they attended some events that the government apparently didn't like. Mm Mm-hmm. These are Canadians within Canadian borders being harassed by a foreign government. So this blew my mind. When I read it, I was like, holy smokes, this is going to reverberate across the country. This is going to be in all the headlines on the front page of every major publication. This is insane. But then, aside from a spot on the Linda Steele show, 
nothing. Mm -hmm. And that was almost more shocking to me. Were you surprised that other outlets didn't pick up or follow up on this story? Yeah, I was in a way because I, I do think what has happened and is happening is completely unconscionable. Um, as you say, these are people who are Canadians, who call our communities home, who have, uh, in my opinion, every right uh, that every other Canadian has to express themselves, to participate in demonstrations. Mm -hmm. um, and the idea that a foreign government has the ability to reach into this country, to reach into our communities, and to intimidate and harass our people is just unconscionable. Yeah. I, I you know, it, it just, and when I, heard the stories, um, and, and this kind of came in the, the fallout to UBCM, and obviously that was, there was a lot of public attention about that. Mm -hmm. and, and subsequent to that, I started being approached by a number of uh, Chinese Canadians, Hong Kong Canadians, um, not only from Port Coquitlam, but around Metro Vancouver region as well, and, hmm. and sharing stories with me. And I, I think uh, they had a sense that um, I was someone that they could come to. Um, and, you know, you don't appreciate when you've been privileged enough to live your life in this country, mm -hmm. the, the fear of government. Yeah. Right. And, and so they would come into my office. The first thing, um, they would ask me to do is close the blinds. So really? I'm on the third floor of, uh, Port Coquitlam City Hall yeah. on Shaughnessy Street um, and the first thing they would ask is, can you close the blinds? Hmm. Um, and they'd ask me, you know, am I sure that they're not being recorded, anything <laughs> like that? And so just a, a great deal of, of fear that uh, certainly something that I'm not not accustomed to, like not yeah. fearful that, you know, the government is... And these were multiple people yeah, coming yeah. to you. It was not right. just one case. Or... No, no, it wasn't one case. And, and so, and it was separate. There were separate um, meetings that I had with people on wow. this. So the first one, when I heard it, um, you know, I, I've learned a lot in the last year, so I don't discount things sure. yeah. easily anymore yeah. that, you know, maybe would sound far-fetched, yeah. you know, prior to all this happening. And so when I first heard uh, one of the stories about an individual uh, in my community who had posted their support of the Hong Kong protesters on a, a popular um, Chinese social media uh, uh, website, mm -hmm. um, that that had resulted in a number of phone calls at all hours of the night to this person saying, we're aware that you've made this post. It's been noticed. Uh, you should be careful. You have family that are in Hong Kong. Really? We know that. Wow. Uh, and, and that person very clearly believing that the person who made that call was a representative of uh, the Chinese government. Yeah. Um, so when I first heard that, I'm like, what, like, is that po like, can, can they know that? Like, is that possible? And like, how would they get your number and all yeah. that sort of, it just, you know, and, and then I had another person come to me, uh, and, and this person actually had a, a, a visit to their, uh, house. Really? Yeah. A visit to their home. From? From someone who wouldn't identify themselves. 
Mm -hmm. uh, but letting them know that their participation in one of the rallies that had happened in Vancouver in support of, again, the Hong Kong protesters Mm -hmm. uh, had been noticed. And, you know, I started thinking about then, you remember when all of that was happening, there was like the the counter protesters in the Lambos (laughs) and the Ferraris. And, you know, they picked weird optics to counter protest. Um, Yeah. Uh, but you may recall that there was one particular uh, protest in support of uh, the people of Hong Kong that took place in a church in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And it had ended up being surrounded by uh, a, a group of pro-Chinese Communist Party right. uh, uh, folks. And they had their phones out. And they were filming and attempting to film right. uh, the people who <laughs> were going in and out of the church in support of uh, the Hong Kong uh, protesters. Um, You know, why are they filming? Like, where's that going? (laughs) Right. And so, you know, you look at things like that and you realize like, no, this is not some sort of far-fetched story that someone's made up. Um, And when I have several people approach me and those, I'm just telling you about two of the, uh, of, uh, the uh, meetings, but there were others. Um, it's real. Uh, Are we talking it, single digits, double digits? It was in excess of a dozen. Okay, that's yeah. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, And that's what surprises me. Like, why do you think that the media largely ignored what you were telling them and what you told yeah. Star Vancouver? Because this is, you know, on the road to Khashoggi, basically, mm-hmm. in the sense that a foreign government is harassing people within your own borders. This yep. is big news. I, I agree. Um, why didn't the media pick it up? I, it, it's hard to pinpoint why things kind of become big stories and other things don't. Sure. Um, I, I think maybe it has to do with timing and other things that are going on in the you know in the world or in the country or, yeah, or in, the, in the news. Um, and, and I can't exactly remember what was all going on, you know, uh, Trump, you know, sucks up a lot of oxygen (laughs) with all of his, you know, stupidity, right? So uh, I don't know if it's like distraction because of other things or, or, or what it was, but, um, you know, I I think that it is a story that needs to be told, you know, I I kind of juxtapose that with the, uh, huge attention that Richard Lee's story mm-hmm. got. And you know, and I think there's something there about who we pay attention to when things happen to. So something happens to an elected official or a former elected official and yeah. it was like, oh my God. You know, and it was big news. You know, um, what's happening to... But you're an elected official and you're sure. the one telling the story. Yeah. I, I mean, I just, it seems like so because he had some profile or status, it was like I guess a big deal hmm. because you know these people uh, may, aren't elected officials. You know they're they're people who um, who are fearful. Um, you know I, I don't know if that's it or not. But anyways, it was it, it was frustrating um, that it didn't get more attention because. It seems that media attention these days is what compels most politicians to act, Yeah, which is a, such a sad statement of where we're at. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it seems like the only and we, there's a litany of examples of that, unfortunately, where, you know, an issue 
gets ignored, even though it, it cries out for attention. And the only thing that compels decision makers or elected officials to act is, oh, I'm getting some bad press. I better go do something. Yeah. And like, let, let me try and throw some shit at this to make it go away and yeah, make yeah. people forget. Uh, and, and so the only thing that really bothers me about this is I just think what happened here and what I believe continues to happen mm -hmm. is, again, unconscionable and extremely dangerous. Yeah. Extremely dangerous to allow a foreign government, and I don't care which foreign government it is, to, to reach in to this country and try and shut people down and shut down criticism yeah. and intimidate and harass. Um, I mean, that strikes at the very core of the things that we cherish as Canadians. And, you know, to me, that requires the immediate attention of federal government, provincial government, every elected official Mm -hmm. who's supposed to be defending those values and yeah. those things that we cherish. And I would say it even necessitates public outrage. I mean, people look at the Don Cherry thing and make that a free speech issue. Mm -hmm. And I say, this is a free speech issue. This For is sure. sanction from yeah. a foreign government that's mad that you said something that they didn't like right. in a different country, no less. Yes. This is a free speech issue. So totally is. more than just the media... And government, I think even public outrage needs to be there about something like this. Mm -hmm. Now, there's only so much that I can actually say on record about this, but I know for a fact that the story made it to the embassy. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I would not be surprised. I mean, clearly they are, are deeply integrated into what is happening mm -hmm. within Metro Vancouver and um, are... are acting as eyes and ears on the topic of the embassy mm -hmm. you had a very provocative twitter thread on december 10th you called out canada's political and corporate establishment which isn't new for you but you specifically called out mcmillan llp for hiring the fired canadian ambassador to china John McCallum. And then he called out Stockwell Day, a former minister of international trade who also works for Macmillan LLP. And then he called out Alikan Velshi and a former deputy prime minister and John Manley. And you directly in the first tweet of that thread questioned their loyalties and the loyalties of the Canadian political and corporate establishment. Do you think McCallum, Day, the firm of Macmillan LLP, and presumably the lobbying arm of that firm, Macmillan Vantage, Ali Canvelshi and John Manley are working against Canadian interests? Yes, I do. Um, <laughs> That's quite a thing to say, by the way. Yeah, I mean, but it, it's what I believe. Because, <laughs> look, we have, I think, this kind of web of cronyism that has inflicted our politics mm -hmm. and, and decision-making. And I named four individuals. The list is unfortunately very long. Yeah. Uh, but what it represents, I think, is this sort of triumph of transactionalism in politics. So, mm. you know, you have 
these people who have served as elected officials who, uh, when they were in elected office, you know, would have you believe that they had these very deeply held beliefs and values about Canada and, and what we represent and sure. what we stand for. And the minute they leave elected office, mm-hmm. and I would suspect that for some of them being in elected office is to set them up for this, hmm. th- they make a beeline right onto the payroll of Huawei or the Canada-China Business Council, mm-hmm. or Macmillan LLP, or anyone else who's willing to pay. A- and those previously deeply held values and beliefs are jettisoned. Yeah. And, and they become, you know, basically lobbyists for, in, in this case, um, the government of China. Hmm. And, and so does that sound like it's working in the interests of our country and our people? Doesn't sound like it to me. Yeah, uh, you know, and, and I'm, you know, I'm sure that they can will rationalize and, and justify somehow uh, about how there's some greater purpose that's being served by this. But I just think that's a load of bullshit. Yeah, um, I think that you know there there is way too much of this this revolving door that we have between elected officials, party insiders, lobbyists, former you know high ranking bureaucrats mm-hmm. who then go work for, you know, again, all of these organizations that are basically um, dedicated to maintaining the the status quo and specifically talking about Canada and China, you know, maintaining the, the status quo and, and this adherence to this orthodoxy that, uh, you know, we basically need to continue to acquiesce, we need to continue to integrate, uh, even though that whole ideology has completely failed. In my opinion, it's got us to where we are mm-hmm. um, because the idea that that integration, that acquiescence was going to somehow lead to uh, uh, the government of China adhering to you know, uh, uh, our standards of uh, human rights, uh, labor rights, environmental rights, etc. It, <laughs> it hasn't happened. Yeah, it's uh, almost I'm, had the opposite effect, you would think. It has. They've become more authoritarian, yeah. if anything. Um, and there seems to be, in this country, a, a, a group, a, a, a web of cronyism mm-hmm. that is dictating government decision-making on this topic and on many others. And it's entirely dedicated to basically maintaining the status quo. Did you pick these four names and Macmillan LLP because you felt like they were the most flagrant or because they were the most powerful? Why did you pick these individuals and this one company in particular? Well, I think it's a a pretty glaring example. There are others, but I do think it's a a glaring example. I'll tell you how I stumbled upon Macmillan LLP. Please. it, very simply, um, I, Stockwell Day was whining about you know how Huawei is being treated so poorly, um, <laughs> and like, what? what do, why does he care about what happens to Huawei? Like, yeah. when did that become you know a, a, good a big cause of <laughs> for Stockwell Day? And, and then I see he works for uh, is a partner or principal or advisor, whatever stupid title they give themselves at Macmillan LP. (laughs) 
And, <laughs> and, and at McMillan Vantage as well. Yeah, yeah the lobbying arm. That's right. And then he's on the Canada-China Business Council. Mm. And uh, so I'm like, oh, okay. Um, well, who else is on this McMillan LP? Oh, Wow, look at that. I mean, Google's a wonderful thing. You just have to type this stuff in and, you know, it's amazing what you can find out. Yeah. Oh, wow. They just hired John McCallum, uh, who had been fired as, uh, you know, Canada's ambassador to China because, well, everyone knows the story there. I basically uh, embarrassed the entire country in in trying to kowtow to uh, to the thugs in Beijing yeah. when he's supposed to be our ambassador. So... It blows it, my mind that he's employable in some universe, you know, I, based on what happened oh, around everything in that story. But that's the cronyism. I'm, I mean, he he embarrasses himself and the country. Yeah. And someone over in one of these big corporate firms thinks, we got to pick that guy up. Yeah. Which I think supports my theory or my view about the sort of web of cronyism because... Uh, he still is obviously extremely well connected mm-hmm. politically, and here and there, here and there, and and you know they plan to take advantage of that and, and use it to advance uh, uh, the interests of those folks who pay them. Yeah, uh, and so I, you know, those two, I I, I picked it because I kind of stumbled across it, <laughs> but um, you know, it, it is I think a glaring example of what we're talking about. Now, when you say political and corporate establishment, Mm -hmm. that is kind of a blanket term, and and you've referred to it a few times. What exactly do you mean by that? What qualifies someone to be in this establishment, in this group? Well, again, I mean, I think it's it's people, um, you know, and you can point to individuals, and we've done that. uh, But I think it's people who have a tremendous amount of power, Mm -hmm. a tremendous amount of influence, uh, and, and use it um, for the folks who are willing to pay them the most. Yeah. You know, um, and there are, uh, whether it's the Canada China Business Council, whether it's some of the uh, Canadian um, CEO organizations, uh, whether it's some of the law firms or the lobbying firms, go and look at the names of folks who sit on those board of directors <laughs> or who are, you know, partners and advisors, yeah, et cetera. Yeah, a lot of it, former government advisors, yeah, I find. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's the people who, you know, previously were making decisions. And that's why I say it's like this revolving door between people who were in elected office, who then go into the corporate sector. Yeah. And it's like this back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Um, and I'm sure it's very financially lucrative for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they maintain a, a huge amount of power uh, and influence over decision making. I also think it's terribly disconnected from the reality of the vast majority of people who live and work in our communities. Yeah. I'm going to lob you uh, an underhanded pitch here. Uh oh. <laughs> Which political parties do most of these people belong to <clears throat> or have belonged to? Well, look, um, you go down the list mm-hmm. um, and it really reads like a who's who mm-hmm. of the federal liberal party and the federal conservative party. Mm. Right. And, and, you know, again, that's one of the things that I think is so fascinating about this, that you can have these former uh, political rivals 
people who <laughs> like despise one another, yeah. who uh, who went to battle every day, like John McCallum and Stockwell Day. <laughs> but surprise, surprise, they can come together over their love of Huawei. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing that they can't find common ground on issues that would actually benefit Canadians <laughs> to maybe improve healthcare, education, uh, jobs, the list goes on and on, pensions, sure. you know, things that would benefit people. But where can they come together and find common ground? On maintaining the status quo with respect to China and Canada, with ensuring that Huawei has access to five gets to build our five G, those are the areas that they can find common ground on. Yeah. Hmm, I wonder if that has anything to do with having the same employer on their paycheck. <laughs> Just thinking. Wow, wow. I can't understate this. What you're saying right now, what you said in that Twitter thread. It might go ignored by, you know, the large media outlets, but it's emphatic, it's courageous, and it's a much-needed shot that you are firing. Does it worry you that your outspokenness could undercut your professional life or affect your personal life? Because it is one thing to rail against China, but you're squarely calling out people and you're calling out a firm like Macmillan LP, and you're putting a face to the obstacles that Canada faces in growing a spine to face the abuse that we get at the hands of the Chinese government. Mm -hmm. um, no, it doesn't, because I think one of the most uh, liberating things you can do mm -hmm. is not uh, desire the pat on the back from <laughs> these people. So, sure. You know, in my observation that too many of our uh, elected officials, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with being ambitious, right? I, I, I don't think that people should be made to feel bad because they have aspirations to, mm -hmm. you know, whatever, climb the political ladder. Um, that's all fine. Yeah. But the price that many people w are willing to pay for that is... Um, to keep their head down mm -hmm. and their mouth shut. Yeah. I really don't care. I mean, they can, if they don't like me. I'm, they don't like me. I don't need more people to like me. I have lots of friends. I have a wonderful family. You have 88% uh, of the vote in Port Coquitlam. <laughs> that, that's right. <laughs> I, I don't aspire to be invited to little cocktail parties where they get together and talk about how great they are. Yeah. You know, I, that there's, I, that has no appeal to me. I don't want to be part of the uh, political class as it is. Like I, I just, and when you don't care, yeah. it's very liberating. And it, you can, I think, um, say things that maybe people who, you know, are worried about being invited to the right party or, you know, are concerned about what other elected officials might say about them won't say. Yeah. Right. Um, that that's not my job. I I said, look, when I ran to be mayor of Port Coquitlam, it, it wasn't so I could become really popular with other elected officials. Mm -hmm. And when you do get elected, you have massive amounts of interaction with other elected <laughs> officials. And I and think we'll get to that in a bit. And what ends up happening, I think, is like people perceive them to be like 
their friends mm-hmm. and, and like it becomes your your social life as well uh, for for too many folks and it's like if you're an elected official and the only other people you hang out with are elected officials you're pretty much guaranteed that you're going to fall deeply out of touch with where most regular people are at and what they experience and what they think and what they're worried about and what they're concerned about and what they want from their government yeah and, and so um you know it it doesn't worry me in in the least um any of that like i i already know they don't like me and and <laughs> i'm you know i'm good with that it's incredible because you're describing this like superficial facade in this kabuki theater in terms of the culture of politics where you know if you're sitting across the aisle from someone in the house you're going to war and all the rhetoric is you know red hot and then you're also meeting with similar people in these social circles and then also you will be working with them you know outside of government for a different interest than than your national interest it's I think there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be upset just by that. And that's probably the tamest thing that you've said so far. <laughs> We're half an hour in, so we got well, we got some time to go. I mean, they can be upset about it. It's yeah. true. I mean, I've seen it. I, I've I've witnessed it. Yeah. And, and, like, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to be, like, an asshole and be like, oh, I don't like to get along <laughs> with anyone and don't talk to me and that sort of I there are lots of elected officials I get along with very well sure. uh, and some who I consider uh, friends and and you know spend time with socially yeah um but that's not what I'm talking about I'm talking about like there there is a certain class within our politics mm-hmm. that um basically they they travel as a pack yeah uh, and uh and I think they, through that, try to exert influence and, and, and really, you know, it, it becomes almost kind of like this high schoolish type thing, right? Like, um, you know, oh, are you going to like fit in with the other elected officials and that sort of <laughs> stuff? And so, but honestly, because of that, there are some elected officials who will not say things that they think mm-hmm. or will not, you know, will basically keep their head down. Yeah. Because it's easier. Yeah. Let's go to that story that was picked up nationally. I want to talk about Richard Lee. He was a former BCMLA. He was a BC liberal at the time. And in 2015, he was improperly detained at the Shanghai airport. And his phone, which is government property, was detained and searched for up to eight hours. This is a clear breach of confidential Canadian government information. He was the deputy speaker at the time of the BC government, and he said that he told a few BC liberals about it, and he specifically told a senior BC liberal leader who, surprise, turned out to be Rich Coleman. Isn't it crazy how that name (laughs) keeps popping up? Yeah. Well, I mean, this is according to Lee, right? This is his story. And then Almost a year ago, December 31st, he writes a letter to Christia Freeland. Richard Lee does. And Freeland, of course, at the time is Canada's foreign affairs minister. And he doesn't get a response from the Canadian government until after this thing was in the news last month. So again, almost a year for the government to to really move on this. 
we've sort of touched on this idea of why his concerns may have made national news and yours maybe didn't. I'm curious, when citizens came to you, did you go to the federal government? Did you go to the authorities with this information? I did pass the information on to appropriate authorities, both uh, locally in my community, um, who I felt it was appropriate to notify that this had happened, Yeah, uh, as well related to uh, a, a federal representative. Did they acknowledge that they received your letters and your concerns? Yeah, they acknowledged that they did receive it. Okay. Because then at that point, it's hard to say whether they moved on it because it doesn't concern you directly. Yeah. Right. And I haven't, I don't have any information that tells me that anything's been done with it. Yeah. Other than it's been received. Why do you think Richard Lee is coming out with this story now? Like it's four years after the fact. Yeah. I mean, it, it probably goes back to just what I talked about in yeah. terms of like, look, he was a, a BC liberal MLA. He was mm-hmm. part of a, a, a caucus. I can, I can imagine that, um, he would have not been very popular with that group if he had come out, you know, days after it had happened and said, hey, listen to what just happened to me. <laughs> you know, particularly when at the time, the former premier, Christy Clark, uh, was really championing the idea that uh, British Columbia and, and uh, China should have very close economic links. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, there was a whole bunch of stuff that she was involved in um, with respect to that. So, um you know, I, I'm sure that that weighed on him, um, I, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I, I can't, it's hard to get into, you know, his head or anyone else's head to figure sure. out, you know, why did they, they wait? I, so, I, you know, I'm kind of guessing here, but I, I imagine that there was uh, certainly a lot of pressure uh, or, um, uh, uh, you know, he. <laughs> I, I imagine when he took it to Rich Coleman, as he says he did, and and basically got nothing. I mean, that kind of sends a pretty clear message right there. Yeah. So um, I'm sure it wasn't an environment that was um, conducive to sharing the type of news that he had. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think in fairness to him, he wasn't the most senior uh, member of that that caucus sure. and uh, again I think it's an example of those who have power exercising and inf- and exercising that power and trying to keep people in line keep mm-hmm. them quiet keep their head down yeah. you know, do what you're told you know so coming back with a story about how I've been detained by the government of China uh, how my MLA secure <laughs> government email uh, was you know rifled through yeah probably not exactly the story that the BC Liberal Party was looking for. No, definitely not. And and again, as you said, it's interesting how anytime a story like this is revealed, Rich Coleman is somehow involved or finds his name into it. And I almost yeah. have sympathy for the BC Liberals because they're trying to rebuild a brand and this guy's name keeps popping up in money laundering and gaming and now, you know, this mm-hmm. breach of confidential government information. Yeah, the Rich Coleman drinking game would be very dangerous. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it would be. The interesting thing about this case with Lee, though, is that it's not just that he got detained. It's that there was a breach of confidential government information. So it does have 
some legal implications. I'm not a lawyer. I don't know what the law is, but I know that certainly in the States, I, I recall that there was a case where an FBI agent, you know, left some confidential documents in their car, their car got broken into, and the agent ended up serving time for mm-hmm. it. I'm not suggesting that should be the punishment here, but I'm just saying that the seriousness yes. of having that information breached, especially by a foreign government, yeah. you would think that would warrant his action ahead of time. And again, it just seems like the right thing to do, especially because there is this heavy legal implication. It's not yeah. just an ethical implication, right? Yeah. And, I, you know, I make no excuses for him. I mean, he should explain mm-hmm. why he's coming now. Um, but I agree with you. I mean, that's a very serious breach. Yeah. Uh, you know, and this is someone who at the time was, I believe, also deputy speaker of the legislature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, which also I think goes to show the 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 aggressiveness of the government of China. Mm-hmm. When, you know, like certainly they bully, intimidate, harass, you know, regular citizens. And uh, I mean, in this country, and that doesn't even come close to talk, talking about what they do to, to people in China. Sure. Um, but, you know, the fact that they were felt um, no hesitation in doing something so aggressive to someone who was an elected official mm-hmm. who did hold a you know a, a, a position within the provincial government in British Columbia, mm-hmm. uh, I think says something about the uh, the in- increasing uh, aggressiveness of, of what they're uh, what they have been doing as well. Mm-hmm. And I want to note this as well. It's it's interesting to me because Richard Lee ran for the governing federal party at the time, the Liberal Party of Canada, in 2019, in February, in Burnaby South, in the by-election against Jagmeet Singh. And he had full intention to run in the general election as well. I believe his wife got sick, so he he pulled out. What does that say about our federal government, (laughs) where they have this guy that made this very serious accusation a month later? He's running for your party. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's politics and government involved at this point. And you're just kind of ignoring what he's told you. Yeah. Um, it doesn't say anything good, in my opinion. Um, it, you know, it's just a, a another example. Mm-hmm. Um, anything that is sort of inconvenient to the path that they are you know, just absolutely beholden to. Yeah. Just gets swept away. Sure. Right? Like it when... When events that unfold of a serious nature don't cause you to reflect upon your actions mm-hmm. or the approach that you're taking, I think that that's very concerning. And, and and there seems to be a number of instances of that with respect to the federal government's um, unwillingness to deviate from the path that has been set for our country for the last several decades. And yeah. so, you know, an uh, an MLA gets uh gets detained, their secure uh, government phone gets uh gone through at just okay, whatever. Uh two Canadians, you know, get taken hostage. Well, that's inconvenient, so you know, we have to kind of like 
say something in very muted terms about it, but hmm. that kind of basically gets pushed aside. And it's like, so they, they are so, have such tunnel vision, I think, uh, on this issue that they are completely unresponsive to, to things, whether they're actions taken by the government of China or events that are unfolding, mm-hmm. because it's inconvenient, because it, it, it threatens to upend this approach and orthodoxy that they are so wedded to. Yeah. Unresponsiveness is a is a good way to put it. I, w- I was thinking callousness mm-hmm. to a certain degree. The whole point of being... I mean, a... I don't understand how he could then turn around and say, this is the party I want to run for. <laughs> like, right? Which... It's uh, crazy. Yeah, it is. I mean, you got to have a little bit of self-respect. Yeah. I I would hope, like, if someone... If, if you come forward with something that serious mm-hmm. and... Uh, and and the party that you want to run for is basically well, who cares? Whatever. Yeah. And you're like, okay, well, st- but can I still be your candidate? <laughs> uh, like, have some self-respect. Seriously. I mean, he did it the first time around, right? Yeah. He still stuck with them. He still mm-hmm. stuck with the BC Liberals. He didn't make a fuss there. Yep. I was just gonna say, it's callous in the sense that the whole point of a citizenship is that your government is supposed to protect you from other governments. Right. And they will go to bat for you in that case. Obviously, you do have to obey certain laws and everything else, but the idea is that a citizenship provides you certain protections. Mm -hmm. And that's the base idea of any citizenship. So, as I said, it strikes me as callous that we can have two of our citizens now detained for a year. Yeah. And there's no movement on it. And there doesn't even seem to be hope there. Mm-hmm. We can have citizens being harassed here and intimidated here. And both the citizenry, as I said, the public and higher levels of office don't even blink an eye at the idea that citizens are being harassed. Yeah. And I, I do think it, this is all about the prioritization of financial considerations of the few. Mm-hmm over broader national interests yeah and over values mm-hmm. values that are supposed to be the foundation of canadian society but it's society. not just over right mm-hmm. like it's not just prioritizing one thing over the other it's in some cases in conflict yes with national interests that's right and in every instance of that happening it's the national interest that loses yeah which is a very sad, very sad state of affairs. Yeah. But I think that that's where we're at. Let's talk about the other big story for you this year. It was in municipal politics. It was about the UBCM, the Union of BC Municipalities. And they've been accepting a $6,000 sponsorship from the Chinese consulate to host a reception for municipal officials across the province. This was something that was done since 2012, apparently, and it was part of the UBCM convention. In 2017, you actually wrote a letter to the UBCM. You were just a city councillor, not just. You were a city councillor. Just a a (laughs) lowly city councillor. Compared to mayor, you know, it's a a big step. But anyways, you were a city councillor at the time, and you wrote a letter to the UBCM. I did. And you said that, you know, this arrangement was wrong. And since then, 
things have gotten really worse between Canada and China. As we said, you know, I think the biggest thing that should be on the forefront of the public consciousness is Michael Spavor and Michael Kovrig still being illegally detained in China for over a year. What was interesting is that what you were saying was not particularly controversial in the sense that you were saying, hey, we're a union of municipalities. We don't need to take money from a foreign government. It wasn't controversial in 2017. In 2019, it made even more sense considering these relationships, considering the the detainees. But you received so much backlash, most notably from Whistler's mayor, Jack Crompton, but also from View Royals mayor, David Screech. And then you had other mayors like Malcolm Brody of Richmond and Lisa Helps of Victoria, who seem to have no problem with the event. While there's a public discourse happening about why this is wrong and why the UBCM shouldn't be accepting this money, they just kind of shrugged and said it's not a big deal. I want to understand how big the backlash was from your peers, from the mayors and the councillors in BC. Was it just a few people or was it a lot of people that were upset? I don't think it was... A, a lot of people, and, and actually I did have a, a number of other mayors and, and city councillors um, send me messages or speak to me privately mm-hmm. uh, and say that they they thought that what I was doing was the right thing yeah. uh, and were appreciative of the position that I was taking. I, I think that that's supported um, as well by the vote that occurred at the UBCM. Uh, so there was a, a vote... Um, and this is something that my city kind of forced because uh, <laughs> we had submitted a, a resolution uh, that stated very simply just that the UBCM should not take any money from uh, foreign governments. Yeah, And so uh, I think that created a little bit of a problem for them because now they had to figure out, well, we're doing this event and this resolution's going to come. Yeah. Like, you know, what's going to happen? So... In the end, what they did was they're like, oh, well, we're going to do a survey of delegates on a whole bunch of questions about sponsorship. And one of the questions was, should the UBCM take money from a foreign government? Yeah. And if memory serves me, I think about 68% of the people who responded at the UBCM said, no, they shouldn't. So I I think that that was an indication that... So there's still a third of people who said, yeah? Well, yes. And so, you know, I... I'm, a third of elected officials. I, I'm trying to be nice here, Mo. I'm I'm really trying to, you know, <laughs> I'm trying to be charitable. So I wasn't going to make that point, but I agree with you. I that when, yeah, you know, I, I mean, in my world, that's like a hundred percent because it's so obvious. Yeah, you know, like it, it's just I think very fundamental about um, your responsibility as an elected official. Um, and the ability of a foreign government to buy access to you is wrong. Like that, that should not be a, a matter of which there's great controversy. Absolutely. And I, and I think you're preaching to the choir in yeah, this yeah. case, but what were they saying to you when all this was going down? Like before the survey, you're, people you're, were upset with you. I know we've seen some emails yeah. out in the public, but what were they saying to you? Uh, so the I, people I, that were upset. Yeah, I, mean. I mean, I think that there was. I would kind of break it down this way. So there's the people who are upset because they didn't agree, right? They <clears throat> they just thought that this arrangement was fine. And then there was... Um, now, whether 
these people agreed or not or thought it was fine. And in the end, I think many of them did think it was fine. But I think they thought that my approach was uncouth or that <laughs> I was uh, I, w- I was making the UBCM quote unquote look bad. Right. Um, it goes back to that facade and right. the kabuki theater of everything. Right. And so my point to them was very simple. I'm not making the UBCM look bad. The mm-hmm. UBCM is making the UBCM look bad. Mm-hmm. And in actual fact, I had spent almost eight months. I mean, if you want to go back to my original letter in 2017, even mm-hmm. longer. But I had spent about eight months from the day I was sworn in as mayor mm-hmm. privately through letters and conversations saying to the UBCM, I think that this is a problem. I think it's unethical. Mm-hmm. I think you should stop it. And I was kind of led down the garden path to believe that, well, yes, we hear you and and we'll, you know, reflect upon that and, you know, w- whatever that means. And then, you know, yada, yada, yada. Oh, by the way, in June, they let me know, oh, we're, yeah, we're still going to do it. Right. And I said, well, what about this previous eight months of discussion, you know, where I was led to believe that I would myself and other municipal leaders would be able to have input into your decision and mm-hmm. oh yeah well we're we're hearing from many others who actually think it's an important opportunity for them to quote unquote network uh and so mm. we, we, we have no choice we have to do it and so i mean that is really when the issue entered the public sphere um but i had spent a considerable amount of time uh previous to that privately yeah trying to get them to do in my opinion the right thing mm-hmm. um and so you know it it's so typical of uh i think <laughs> certain politicians to be like oh well yeah it's it's the way you're doing it i don't i i don't <laughs> like the the way you're doing it i don't like you know i don't like some of the words that you're using yeah well you know what too bad I, I don't like the fact that the UBCM was taking money from the government of China. Mm-hmm. So your feelings about the words I used are, you know, sort of... But are, you did everything in a perfectly legal and ethical manner. You were playing by their rules originally. Yep. What does it say about our political culture that condones and overlooks taking money from a foreign government that has our citizens illegally detained and it shows this government shows us so much disrespect on the world stage as well that they they don't seem to raise a finger about that Mm -hmm. but they're upset in the like i said perfectly legal and ethical manner in which you bring these issues up yeah well it shows that they have very misplaced uh priorities Mm -hmm. i would say um and maybe have lost their compass somewhere along the way Mm -hmm. um because you're exactly right if Okay, on the outrage-o-meter, if you're more outraged because one of your municipal colleagues says it's unethical and wrong to be taking money from a foreign government, particularly one that's engaged in a number of actions that are hostile to our national interests, Mm -hmm. if that outrages you more than said foreign government, uh, you know, detaining 
two Canadians yeah. holding them hostage, uh, having more than a million people in modern day concentration camps. If if you know mm-hmm. if, if that's kind of on on the specter of your outrage, you're more outraged by the former rather than the latter. Um, I don't know what to do for you. Yeah, like I I, I don't. So I people who want to take that approach, mm-hmm. um, you know, at some point there's very little um, worth in in trying to have a rational discussion with them. Yeah. You protested this event. I did. You spoke about it for months leading up to it, spoken out loud, I should say, and you almost lend credence to your original thesis, which is that government doesn't do anything unless there's public outrage. (laughs) And you spoke at the protest as well at this event. And then you showed up at the door and you dropped off donuts saying that they were for Michael Spavor and Michael Kovrig. Obviously, you had a look inside. The gossipy part of me wants to know, who attended the Chinese consulate event at the UBCM conference, convention? So this is on the public record and is uh, available. People have seen this. I've seen lists that are out there, but... Um, I mean, it, I think will come as no surprise that uh, the individuals who you just mentioned earlier uh, were in attendance okay. at, at, at the reception. Um, and, and so th- there were those folks, there were uh, some other uh, elected counselors. Now, uh, I can't give you a, a full, you know, rundown mo <laughs> of every single person. What I'll say is that uh, if people Google uh, media coverage of the event. There are lots of video cameras and you can see, and some of the uh, mayors and state councillors who did attend were there. Um, and they can explain to their constituents why they felt that that was appropriate. I obviously don't. I will say this. I am told, I obviously had never attended this reception mm-hmm. um, in years prior. I, I'm told that in, in previous years, um, there were hundreds of people, right? like, you know, 500, maybe more. I I would say to my eye, there was maybe a hun- maybe under 100 people there this hmm. year. Um, so clearly, you know, there were a number of people who got very shy all of the sun. Yeah, I know. But it just, like, it baffles me that this thing was in the news. They knew cameras were going to be there. This was not a good look for anyone. And these 100 people shamelessly showed up like why did they have to go why did knowing well, that they, they would be photographed yeah. there yeah it's it's frustrating even a hundred people at this point because you know again to go back to your original thesis that there needs to be outrage in order for change but even with people in the media being upset you being upset there being a protest outside mm-hmm. clearly saying why this is wrong two of our citizens detained over there and a hundred people who are elected by people in this province don't see anything wrong with having a cocktail or some appetizers at the uh, at the expense of the Chinese government. It, it blows my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I I can't get my head wrapped around it, um, and I I don't try anymore. To did you have any interactions with some, with any of the attendees while they were there? Because obviously you you put down the donuts. Yeah, and so, did someone say, "Brad, get out of here"? Or well, what's going on? Or maybe they just didn't yeah, know. Beat it. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I will give you a very 
uh, abbreviated version of, of how it all went down. Sure. Um, so there was a protest that was outside. It was organized by uh, the uh, sort of Metro Vancouver um, uh, Hong Kong um, community, mm-hmm. uh, as well as the uh, Vancouver Uyghur community. Yeah. They organized a protest. They invited me to speak. I did so. Uh, at the end of my speaking, they uh, presented myself and some of the other city councillors, and I do want to um, uh, mention that there were other city councillors who who joined me uh, and who also took a stand and, and saying that this was wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so they turned to us and they said, we've prepared these two Tim Horton care packages. We're not allowed to go in the reception, but oh. you are. Will you please deliver them? So it was their idea. It was their idea. Okay. Yeah. Um, will you please... Um, try and give them to the uh, Chinese consulate hmm. or a representative of the Chinese consulate. So, uh, so you know, of course we said, yes, we'll do that. So we went into the hotel. Um, hotel security obviously um, intervened very quickly. Uh, <laughs> you know, what are you doing here? This is a private event. Uh, well, I'm the mayor of Porco Quitlam mm-hmm. and um, I've actually been invited to this event because it's for UBCM delegates and I'm a UBCM delegate. Well, where's your delegate badge? Uh, okay, hold on. Go into my pocket, into my jacket. <laughs> okay, put my badge on. There it is. Brad, oh, so official. Brad West, mayor of the city of Port Hukulam. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, okay. So I guess you can go, right? So very grudgingly kind of. So um, so carrying the, the donuts, we... We went uh, down the uh, escalator to the reception, mm-hmm. um, and there was um, uh, a couple of officials from uh, the Chinese consulate who were out front uh, greeting. They had sort of this kind of um, greeting line yeah. deal going on. Sure. Um, and there was a, a gentleman there who was standing at the door who um, appeared to be of someone someone of importance who was greeting all of the mayors and state councillors uh, who were in attendance. Hmm. And so um, pretty much uh, as soon as I turned that corner and they got a look of me, um, they vanished very quickly. <laughs> Um, and kind of ran into the room. Oh yeah, okay. Uh, you know, we've and, heard about this guy, right? Uh, and uh, so, anyways, I had the two boxes yeah. in my hands, and I had no one to give them to because mm. they had all kind of gone into this into the room. Yeah, and so um, I just put the boxes on the ground and in the doorway. Um, you know, saw a, a few people kind of snicker and you know, kind of like point and. Um, and we put them on the ground and, and then we left. But man, what a symbol. Like, it's not just boxes of donuts. You had the photos of Spavor and Kovrig That's right. on the on the box of donuts. Mm-hmm. So literally anyone going into the reception hall had to step over them. Yes. Yeah. And it's interesting that this seems to be just a coincidence in the way it worked out as opposed to yeah, you thought, I, thinking I, about this symbolism. I, I know that it kind of goes against the uh, theories that some people would have about this being like an elaborately thought out sure. planned sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but no, it was like, I, I didn't know what I was going to encounter when I went down there. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I didn't know what the setup of the room was going to be. I didn't know who was going to be there. I didn't know any of that. Did anyone say anything who was in attendance? Like maybe they were walking past you or they were towards the entrance? There, there was. Um, so as I put them down, um, unfortunate timing for this one elected official. And I, I'm afraid that I don't know who it, who it was, what her name was. But sure. um, 
her timing was that just as I had put them down, she was trying to make uh, her way into the into the room. Right. And so when I turned around, we kind of came face to face. And I said to her, um, if you don't mind, can you let someone in the room know that we've placed these two care packages here? They're for the two Canadians who are being uh uh, illegally detained by the mm-hmm. government of China and we would like them to be delivered to the two Michaels so they know that there are still people in this country who are thinking about them um, and she mumbled something and couldn't get past <laughs> me fast <laughs> enough <laughs> so that was the only actual interaction I had had let's say you were afforded a one minute interaction with someone at the consulate what would you have said to them I would have um, basically told them that there are, well, exactly what I said, that I want them to know that if they desire to have the open, honest, and respectful relationship Mm -hmm. with elected officials like they say that they want, I mean, they have talked about how this is really an important uh, opportunity for dialogue. And so my point to them would have been that if they want to have that dialogue, if they want to be able to have uh, respectful relations that are in the to the benefit of both of our countries and peoples, yeah, then there are some things that we're all going to have to agree on, and that includes not taking other citizens hostage Mm -hmm. that includes respect for human dignity human rights you know the the things that i think all of us as human beings want to have in our in our life and for our families Mm -hmm. uh, and that those things are non-negotiable yeah we don't get to have a relationship in the way that they want until those things are done that's that's those that is at the the pinnacle of everything else it it you know econ- uh trade considerations financial consideration wh- whatever it is none of that gets dealt with until people are treated with dignity and respect and i agree with you 100% but i feel like if you told an official from the chinese government or the consul general exactly what you just said, they would say, no, that's not how it works mm-hmm. because we still have relationships with certain Canadian political and corporate circles. Yep. So it's nice that you live in this idealistic world, but that's not reality, mm-hmm. right? And, that's, and, and, and again, that's not to undercut what you were saying. Idealistically and by principles, I yeah. completely agree, but... That's not their reality. No one is telling them what you just yeah. told me. And it, uh, and I agree with you. It's not reality, but it's not reality because we've allowed it to not be reality. Mm-hmm. You know, we have that whether it's China's entry into the WTO, whether it's the deep economic integration that has happened, that reality has been constructed mm-hmm. by politicians in this country over the last two to three decades it need not be that way Mm -hmm. um you know and and i'm not naive um and i understand you're not going to flip a switch 
and have you know a, a sudden an absolute you know uh, upending um there is obviously this deep economic integration that has been allowed to happen but we have i think more power in this relationship than we actually realize as a country uh and how so well yes uh, china has emerged as a economic superpower mm -hmm. um their requirement for north american markets is still hugely significant we have the potential, I think, to build uh, alliances um, around the world with countries like Taiwan, for instance. Um, there are, if the world could get together and start exerting its influence, then I still believe the pendulum can swing in the other direction. And we can start to maybe bit by bit um, get to a a relationship that is, m you know, much more healthy, much more balanced. Mm -hmm. um, but, it, you know, there, there's no getting around the fact that it's going to require a lot of work. It may even result in some short-term economic pain. Hmm. I think it's a price worth paying. Yeah. I, I think that if we continue down the trajectory that we're on and allow this new world order to be established, um, the things that in the past have had global, we've had global consensus on in the post-World War II era mm -hmm. are at huge risk yeah. with respect to human rights, uh, the dignity of the individual, um, all of the things that make being a Canadian important, you know, and and really is fundamental to our identity. But um, but ultimately it is about creating that coalition, right? Yeah. Like we can't do it alone. No. China is our second biggest trading partner. We're like 24 yep. in terms of size, right? So it's not something that we can necessarily do on our own. And you know, we talk about human rights and, and being this advocate for global human rights, but I think there's this increasing feeling that Canadians as well, especially in the political class, only like to talk about human rights when it comes to countries that our elites are not doing business with, mm -hmm. yeah. right? We do have a double standard, and I think... That is something that I wish was more in the national dialogue when we're talking about foreign policy. Why do we have a double standard? At what point do we call one country out but completely ignore another country? Yes, and I, I absolutely concur. And I think that, you know, there has been a lot that has been sacrificed at the altar of trade. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think that there, I sense in this country, a a huge appetite to see trade be contingent and go hand in hand on a standard around human rights. Yeah. Um, and I think about this way, when you look at the kind of global landscape um, and you see authoritarianism on the rise in a number of different areas, mm -hmm. um, if Canada 
for all of its own flaws, <laughs> of which there are many. But if a country like Canada is not willing to stand up and work with other allies, then who is, who, you know, who else, you know, tell me the country that in the world is going to stand up and try and, and, and forge a alliances or a coalition to defend these issues. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I think it's, it's the role that we like to think that we have played mm-hmm. and, and will continue to play. Yeah. Um, but to your point, there's, it's gripped with hypocrisy when it comes to a number of different places, including uh, with our relationship with China. I want to touch on this relationship a little more and why you're saying the things you're saying. At some point, you were the communications and political action coordinator for the United Steelworkers District 3 office in Burnaby. The Tri-City News is also reported on this as well. One of their main messaging and advocacy is opposition to free trade with China. What do you say to people that suggest that your loud, perhaps even incendiary rhetoric with regards to China is just towing the union's messaging? Uh, So a couple of things on this. First, I'm very proud to be a steel worker. I think we need more steel workers, more working people in politics. You know, this question isn't posed to politicians who are lawyers or accountants or CEOs, uh, of which, by the way, the majority are. Yeah. (laughs) Right? Uh, So I, I think our politics desperately requires more working people in it, more people who are connected to the people who get up every morning and do the jobs in this country that actually make the country work. Yeah. And our politics would be become, in my opinion, profoundly more responsive uh, and more healthy Mm -hmm. if we had more working people in it. Um, Now, the steelworkers' position is that trade with any country should include standards around human rights, labor rights, uh, environmental considerations. Pretty um, reasonable. I, I mean, I think so. I, I would hope that that is a, a, a widely shared position. Yeah. Um, and so the idea that somehow it's, you know, advancing something that is going to like benefit them somehow is just a farce. Yeah. Um, you know, but again, I think what you see is, um, when you challenge very powerful interests, they, you know, they look for things. Right. And so, I don't know, I think that's a pretty flimsy thing, but do you think when those things are sort of whispered in certain circles or insinuated, whether that's online or in print, that that is coming directly from certain interests? Um, I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't know the answer to that question, whether they're like, oh shit, this Brad West character is, you know, is, uh, uh, 
really kind of, you know, <laughs> taking us to task. You, I mean, you just called out yeah. a law firm and a <laughs> lobbying firm. Yeah. And again, it's very recent, yeah. but yeah. maybe not out of the question. Yeah, uh, maybe. I mean, yeah, it, it's hard. <laughs> it, it's hard to say where it comes from. But look, I mean, uh, like it is absolutely, you know, no secret that I believe strongly in collective bargaining. Mm -hmm. um, but this is not, you know, this kind of suggests that somehow unions are some um, like narrow self-interested group. Um, in my opinion, unions have built the middle class in this country. Mm -hmm. They have ensured that prosperity is more widely uh, spread uh, throughout our society. Um, I think that they have been a uh, very much a, a, a positive force uh, in our society, mm -hmm. not only in Canada, but in North America and and around the world. Uh, and, and so I could not be more proud to be a part of that. Um, for me, my first introduction to uh, labor unions was uh, through my parents. Mm -hmm. When my dad passed away when I was 10, he was in the union because of that because the union had gone and negotiated an agreement that said, if you die, your benefits pass on to your uh, surviving spouse or partner. Mm -hmm. Because of that, my mom was able to get a portion of my dad's pension. Right. My mom, through that and through her own hard work, was able to keep my, sis my younger sister and I out of poverty. Mm -hmm. a, a union did that. Yeah. Not a, you know, a CEO didn't wake up one day and think to themselves, hmm, I'm going to make sure that if, you know, when the workers dies that, you know, this benefit continues to be paid to their spouse. A union yeah. went and negotiated that. So I've seen in my own life, and that's just one example, uh, and there are others. My mom had to work two jobs. When she got a union job, she only had to work one job because hmm. she got paid a bit better. Mm -hmm. And and I saw the difference that made to uh, our family and our life and, you know, my mom's um, ability to uh, have more time with us and, and mm -hmm. all these good things. Um, so, yeah, I, I count myself as a, uh, as a proud um, member of the uh, labor movement in this country. Sure. I want to pull the lens back just a little bit. In the world of ulterior motives, and certainly you've implied that some other people have ulterior motives. I don't think we should be under any illusion that this is not a thing. Mm -hmm. How do you and how should Canadians differentiate a principled stance from a self-interested stance? Consistency. I think consistency is key. If, you know, look, if, if Stockwell Day had spent a career including as an elected official advocating for Huawei, then maybe his sudden <laughs> conversion to the issue wouldn't be suspect. Sure. Right? I think consistency is key. I also think people are pretty good BS detectors. And so, you know, when someone all of a sudden embraces some new position that they've, you know, they, they've just uh, come upon, mm -hmm. you know, after maybe advocating for things that seem to be at odds with that in the past, um, you know, I, I think, you know, people can peel back the, the, 
layers of the onion and, and make you know make their judgments yeah um you know but i think consistency is is a strong indication of whether people are advocating a position um because it is a sincerely held belief mm-hmm. uh or it's you know something of a more transactional uh, nature that they've kind of come upon yeah I'm going to have to have Stockwell Day on the show at some point. <laughs> You're really taking the piss out of him, man. <laughs> Sorry, Stock. <laughs> Are we cynical? Because there's this paradox, right? Like, we do kind of default into questioning people's motives, and, mm-hmm. and we suspect that everyone has an ulterior motive. I mean, even myself, I've been accused of being a political agent where... I clearly state that I'm not objective and I clearly state where my biases are and I clearly state, you know, guests whose careers I followed or if I've donated to them in the past, I, I'm pretty open with that stuff. And that's me. I'm very, I'm very small. But at the same time, as you sort of alluded to, you know, I think actions speak louder than words. And there are a lot of politicians who say one thing but do something completely contrary to that. And I think that stereotype holds true. So I'm curious, are people cynical? Are regular people cynical? Or is the cynicism rooted from the political system itself? Yeah. I, I th- Where you would think that, oh, I can I can say something and do something differently, mm-hmm. but who cares? No one's gonna notice. Like that's cynicism, right? Yeah, I, I think there's a there's a a cynicism a cynicism that is deeply rooted in sort of our political culture and i think that elected officials and and actors within political parties um are the ones who propagate it um mm-hmm. in the example you give of like oh well i know i've said this before but i'm gonna do this now and people won't really know this or pay attention like <laughs> yeah. you know there's that um you know there's i mean how many times i have lost count the number of times a, a fellow politician has been like oh well you know it'll be a one-day story or like, oh, it'll be a two-day story, you know, or, um, you know, that's why they, they, you know, like we have these, this concept or this idea and take out the trash days, right? Like where if government has bad news, you know, bad Dump news. Dump it all really, at once. Oh, yeah, yeah, like a Friday of a long weekend in the afternoon. Oh, you know, here's a bunch of crappy things that are happening, right? Yeah. Like all of that breeds cynicism. Uh, and, and creates, you know, uh, cynicism about our mm-hmm. politics. And then it, it it's no wonder, you know, and then, you know, th- despite the fact that many people in the political class pedal in it, they then point the finger at the electorate or at the public and say, oh, I'm so cynical, so hard on politicians. <laughs> right. You know, you know and, and there's, I, I've noticed in some of the discussions I've had with um other politicians like the the like the thing to do now is they throw themselves a pity party about like how hard done by they are you know and like how you know <laughs> and i think in doing that like there's this lack of looking in the mirror to think about well do do we as elected officials you know do people involved in politics have any responsibility for the fact that yeah, maybe the electorate or the public has become kind of cynical about things. Mm-hmm. Could it be because they're sick and tired of being told during an election, we're going to do X? This will be the last election that we have first past the post. Sure. Right? Yeah. Like, 
you know, that creates cynicism, mm-hmm. right? And rather than point the finger at the public for being so cynical or being so hard on politicians, maybe politicians should be taking a look in the mirror and asking themselves, do I bear any responsibility yeah. for this feeling that people have? You know, ha- have I contributed to it? Yeah. No, I think that's a very excellent point. And it does get me because there is a paradox. You know, you do hear politicians saying, oh, we get it so hard from the public and the media and whatever else. But then there's a good amount of the public that is completely disconnected because they think everyone is corrupt. Right. So I I hear this about, you know, again, as I kind of said, the the pity party. Right. Mm -hmm. And kind of about how hard they have it. Look. I have a deep, deep respect for people who are willing to step forward Absolutely. and, 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 public run, service, and yeah. run for public service. Um, and But I can tell you that my hardest day as mayor mm-hmm. has not even touched the hardest day that many of my constituents would have mm-hmm. at work. My hardest day of mayor bears no resemblance to the hardest day that my mom had when she was working two jobs, long hours, and raising two kids. Mm -hmm. So I know there's, again, this phenomenon of, oh, you know, when you get together, you know, and like I said, I don't get together with politicians socially a lot, but... I have certainly heard this kind of like, oh, you know, the public's so hard on us and the media is rough on us. And Mm -hmm. no wonder nobody wants to run for elected office and that sort of stuff. And, you know, I I just think that there needs to be more um, reflection upon the things that elected officials and people involved in politics do and say that contribute to the conditions that they then want to complain about. We've talked about a lot here. Cynicism. <laughs> Hypocrisy. <laughs> it's been a real downer of an episode, I know, Mo. I know. We'll try to pick things up in a little bit. <laughs> Is corporate influence in politics the root of all these issues? Because it seems to be this connecting thread, at least in your worldview. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I- I, I do think corporate influence in in politics is at the root of much of this. And and I don't want to paint a too broad of a brush on that because mm-hmm. uh, there are a number of uh, businesses, including in my own community, I would say they're the ones that are really in the same boat as kind of working and middle class people. Sure, and yeah. they are working and middle class people, many of them, um, you know, because they're small and, you know, family owned businesses. But I think when you talk about the the power and the influence and the control mm-hmm. of large multinational corporations, um, I, I do think that their stranglehold on our politics is at the root of a lot of the frustration that people in this country feel mm-hmm. about how unresponsive government is to their needs and concerns. And I think that the sooner we can free ourselves of that stranglehold, the better we all are going to be. Because their decisions are largely and at the end of the day, primarily made through the prism of 
what is the best thing, what is the best outcome for shareholders, hmm. for the corporate bedroom or corporate, yeah, corporate bedroom. Yeah, let's call it that. Let's call it corporate bedroom. <laughs> corporate boardroom. <laughs> I think bedroom's a better I, uh, analogy. I, I agree. Yeah. But uh, so that, that I, I do believe that. Yeah. Let's bring it back to BC politics. We got our public inquiry into money laundering. I'm going to give you a big assist for that because you were a very loud voice in this. And as the inquiry has begun, you expressed disappointment in the Cullen Commission's decision to not grant standing to an RCMP whistleblower, Fred Pinnock. I took your concern directly to Attorney General David E.V. because we're bros, and that's what bros do. Prish. Understanding that there's only so much that the Attorney General knows and is able to speak on, he said that usually standing is granted to people who may face personal consequence as a result of the inquiry, and that specifically he would be surprised if Mr. Pinnock was not called as a witness to tell his story. What did you think of his answer since you were very concerned about this? Yeah, I, I appreciated it. Uh, and certainly let me freely admit that uh, Minister Eby knows way more about this than I do. Sure. Um, and it was, it, it did reassure me um, to a degree that um, there is still going to be the opportunity for someone like Mr. Pinnock to provide his evidence, essentially. Um, now, I expressed that concern because people in this province worked really damn hard to get the inquiry, mm -hmm. you know, um, and you remember, I mean, it was months, I think maybe almost a year of, of, I think a very grassroots kind of organic effort throughout, mm -hmm. um, the province to really pressure elected officials into calling it. And I think the expectations are are very high, uh, mm -hmm. and, and certainly my expectations are high. And when I saw that decision, uh, I was concerned that it was a sign that the public inquiry would not deliver on the expectations that the public has for it, uh, but but more importantly, in delivering the the answers and accountability that I think led to its creation. Now I'm mm -hmm. I'm. Again, I think more I have some assurance based on what the minister said that that is still at the forefront. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's going to be important over the course of the next several um, months, year, as the inquiry does it, its work, that they reflect the Justice Cullen and those who are involved really understand the reason why we've had this inquiry yeah uh, and and what the public i mean i understand this is very much a judicial process mm -hmm. but completely independent of government that's right um but there's a reason we have it you mm -hmm. know and so you know fred pinnock i i thought and i and i still believe that the commission um made an error here because I understand that you don't want, you can't necessarily grant standing mm -hmm. to every person who comes forward and says, hey, I have information or 
you know, I, I've got the story to tell. Mm-hmm. I, I get that, right? And I understand how it could become too long and unwieldy and all that sort of stuff. Sure. But I think Mr. Pinnock is uniquely qualified to rip the scab off of what's happened in BC with respect to money laundering. Mm-hmm. Um, and if anyone's been following this issue, you, you've, you've, I think, probably seen just a taste of the type of information that he has to offer. And so to my mind, if you were going to grant standing to anyone and give them the associated powers and abilities that come with it, he was the guy. Sure. Um, and so um, it's great that there's some confidence that he's going to be called to testify. I'd like to see him have the ability to provide evidence to ask questions of other <laughs> of other people. Right, um, yeah. Like, I, Call I, his own witnesses. Yeah, you know, I think that granting him standing, in my opinion, would have served the public interest and mm-hmm. I, I think would have given at least me confidence that, you know, the the public inquiry is doing the things it needs to, to deliver on citizen expectation for accountability and answers. So uh, that hasn't happened at this point. um, But I'm, you know, I'm, I really think that he uh, is in many ways, a, a linchpin to understanding a lot of what happened and why. Sure. And I certainly hope he gets to tell his story exhaustively, mm-hmm. as he deserves to be able to tell as a whistleblower. Sticking to this inquiry and the the subject of this inquiry, after my podcast with BC Liberal leader Andrew Wilkinson, who expressed support for the public inquiry, you said, you tweeted, that nobody believes that he and the BC Liberals actually support it. And you specifically said that he, Christy Clark, and Rich Coleman turned a blind eye. I asked David Eby if negligence or suppression of information was criminal. He's a lawyer, so he was very careful with his words. But he did say that, yes, a breach of duty with regard to trust of someone in that type of position can rise to a criminal offense. We've established that you're not a lawyer. We have. Mr. Wilkinson was very adamant that you are not a lawyer. (laughs) But do you think that in the manner in which elected BC liberal officials turned a blind eye to money laundering was negligence to the degree of criminality or perhaps should be that way? Because the way that you are talking, it is incendiary. So I really want to get to what you mean. So... I think that that needs to be examined by that question Mm -hmm. must be examined by those whose job it is to consider those questions. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm, again, I'm not a lawyer, um, but I I will say this, um, whether it rises to the level of criminal negligence, that I think should be examined and, and answered in if so, uh, pursued, mm-hmm. and there should be accountability. Um, on the level of negligence in, in terms of dereliction of your duties as an elected official to 
this province and its people, yeah, I think it's pretty clear that they were negligent. Mm -hmm. Uh, The warnings that were ignored, uh, the teams uh, of of, uh, of police that were dissolved, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the... Uh, the the litany of things that we have learned over the past number of years about a, awareness that there were issues, but in a complete disinterest in pursuing them, mm-hmm. uh, and, and and in fact, doing things like uh, you know ignore uh, firing whistleblowers, uh, and you know again uh, dissolving enforcement teams exasperated the issues of, of money laundering and mm-hmm. all of its consequences in, in British Columbia. So, um, you know, the the justice system and the inquiry will have to sort out whether there has been negligence arising to a crime. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the public needs to continue to sort out the political and electoral consequences that people should face who had responsibilities and failed in in them with respect to money laundering. And I believe you used the term dereliction of duty. Would you apply that to the former premier, Christy Clark? Oh, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> I don't know how any objective review of what has transpired can lead anyone to any other conclusion. You know, this this entirely happened on her watch. But then based on those descriptions that you're using, we're still talking about someone who is a pundit on TV and an advisor to a law firm, a very big law firm. Mm-hmm. There didn't seem to be any consequences. No. She walked away. She has a bunch of new gigs. Yeah. And, and okay, Let's just circle back from it. Why is the public cynical? <laughs> Hell if I know. Could it be something like that? Could it be someone who, you know, who was the premier of the province who had the, the highest position in our, the highest elected position in our province? Well, this was transpiring with devastating consequences for mm-hmm. people in this province from housing market to uh the unaffordability, opioid crisis, death, on and on and on and on and on it goes. And, you know, lands this kind of cushy talking head gig. Yeah. To push forward the public discourse of Canadian politics. Right. You know, so like, (laughs) there it is in a nutshell. Yeah. You know, so it, again, I think it's entirely understandable why people, you know, feel the way they do. And get cynical, get disengaged, stop voting because of shit like that. Yeah. Brad, do you speak French? I do not. So you're going to be running for provincial politics is what you're saying. (laughs) Oh, I see what you did there. (laughs) (laughs) No. I told you this in February. Um, I know you did. Yeah, my, um, and I've heard this answer and this question being thrown at you, and you've given the same answer. Well, it's hard to come up with a new every ways. single time. Well, you're yeah. consistent. Yeah. <sighs> Listen, Brad, we're bros. Okay. We're... Your family is your primary obligation, and I understand that every decision you make in your professional life 
is going to be based on what's best for your family. And the travel and the schedule associated with provincial politics, certainly federal politics, is a sacrifice. And if you don't choose to go down that route, I'd completely understand. But you have a gift of resonating with people of all backgrounds, all political leanings, all sorts of demographics. And you cut through that cynicism that binds us all. And you're a guy that is genuinely fighting for regular, everyday people and families. You're honest, you're bold, you're authentic. You do what you say you will do. And most of all, you're guided by principles. And this country needs people like you in higher office. And I might not agree with every single policy position you might have, but I trust you. And I think the people of Port Coquitlam trust you. And I think every day, more British Columbians trust you. And I am getting a little emotional about this, so I'm being honest here. If you don't run for higher office at some point down the road, I'm not saying in the next cycle, but at some point, I'll understand we'll still be bros, <laughs> but I won't be able to forgive you. <laughs> you have to run at some point. I'm sorry. You know, it's... It, it it has been something I've wrestled with, and and I'm like you know, very much a, an open book on this. I mean, first things first, I love the job that I have right now as mayor of the city of Port Coquitlam. You can love it for another ten years, <laughs> but I, you know, the one thing that I've kind of reflected upon in in the little over the year that I've been mayor is that. You know, I'm proud of the fact that I have been able to play a small part in, I think, raising some of these issues uh, to the forefront of of public discourse. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that at least I, I, I sense and I experience a, a greater degree of public awareness and, and, and discussions, um, you know, discussions within families, discussions among friends mm -hmm. um, of, you know, these, these issues that I think are going to really confront and shape our future. Um, I'm not convinced that being a, an MLA, uh, you know, and, and, being part of a party caucus and answerable to a whip and answerable to you know leader I, I don't know whether I would have the same degree of success as I've had in the past year or so and because the positions aren't important to me like it, it's the title is not important to me what's important to me is Am I making a contribution to, uh, you know, a future that's going to be better for my son and other people's kids? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that I've been able to. Again, I don't want to overstate it, but you know, I think I've been able to play a part of creating some awareness and discussion of, of those issues, which I hope will lead to better outcomes for 
people in our communities. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I, I just, you know, I think it's important to be realistic about our political culture and environment and I think the profoundly unhealthy state of all of our various political parties and and I think in many respects as an outsider you get the derision <laughs> you get the you know the looks you get the snide remarks but I think you're also able to get results and and so yeah. I'm you know so I I don't see it, um, being honest with you. I, I don't see it in, in the future. Um, but should I give a political answer? One, no. But, but you never, You'll ruin but, the whole podcast. But you never know. I mean, yeah. but can, can, you yeah, prom- I, can you promise me one thing? Tell me what it is, and sure, I, I yeah, let, yeah, okay, yeah. I'll, I, I'll let you hear it first. I don't want to just, you know, that <laughs> don't want to just promise before. I, I mean, it. here we are. I thought we were bros, but okay, fair enough. Please do not become a strategic advisor <laughs> to a law firm. Yeah, I think that ship has sailed. Mo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can be a talking head pundit. That's fine. You're you're great on the mic, <laughs> but I don't want you to be one of these guys who's a, a strategic advisor or board member of one of these law firms doing god knows what no that's um that is not in the cards that is <laughs> that does not appeal to me yeah that, fair enough yeah i want to end the podcast on this note i know i think we broke the record from last time okay yeah i was talking to a person in the media and they were telling me that when you and i did our first episode together that was episode 30 And I'll be honest, I did the whole shebang. I was shooting out press releases and I did five promotional clips because I wanted eyes on it. You Mm -hmm. know, I thought it was really good content and not only good content, to me, it was important content. And what I didn't consider at the time, and I don't think you thought about this either, is that we did something pretty special in that podcast for an elected official to sit down with an independent podcaster or any media personality for that matter in this like unedited free flow 100 minute interview it was unheard of here and yes i had politicians on the show before you but a lot of that was campaign mode stuff right, right. A, a lot of that was like here's my vision for what i'll do in office Whereas with you, you were speaking very clearly from a visceral, authentic place, and you weren't playing nice. I mean, who would have thought that the mayor of Port Coquitlam would give such a realistic and raw assessment of Canada-China relationships? You were 100% you, and I think... That's tough to do on the microphone as an elected public official for 100 minutes, right? I, I really want to emphasize that time. And that episode, I, I went through it before I came back. There's no filler in that. And we were just having a conversation, yeah, right? I, like I said, I don't think we had set out to do something crazy. We were just chatting. And I don't think it's a coincidence that after that interview with you, Minister Selena Robinson came on and she did 75 minutes. 
And then Andrew Wilkinson's team wanted on. And then Attorney General David Eby came on, and he even gifted me with breaking news. I'm not sure what I did to deserve that. That was huge. It was big. <laughs> as, as reported and corroborated in the Vancouver Sun. And then, you know, I got those spots with, with Linda at CKNW and a couple spots at the CBC. And everything just seemed to build momentum with that episode, because I think we got a lot of heads turning. And when I look at the podcast scene in Vancouver, whatever that means, a a bunch of them kind of popped up out of nowhere this year. And they had a very similar format to this. And I'm not taking credit for that. This is a Joe Rogan template. And he's out there talking to Bernie Sanders and Elon Musk. And I'm lucky to talk to David Eby and Tamara Taggart and Linda Steele. But I think that you pushed me to that next level. And since then, since February, it's just been level up, level up, level up. Okay, let's do another politics episode. Okay, let's, there's a sweet comedian that I know. Let's bring her on. Let's bring him on. Let's do a health episode. Oh, I haven't, you know, learned anything about that field in a while. I just wanted to show the unlimited magic that can be created in this format, in this city. And I think the politicians and elected officials are actually getting wise to it because this is something that no politician would have done 10 years ago. And now they all want to be a part of it. And I'm not saying necessarily on my podcast, but I'm just saying they see the value. Mm -hmm. I mean, the BC liberals, they launched their own long form podcast interview style now. And and they had Wilkinson on as their first guest and they have a few MLAs on as well. And they, they saw the value in this. And there's going to be a lot of listeners being like, oh, so he's bragging now. (laughs) And you know what? I am. No, you should. I I bust my ass to create good content because I love doing it. And I care about each guest. And I want them to express things in this format that they cannot express in other formats, that other formats cannot accommodate. So as a guy with like no media experience... I'm still figuring this out, but I, th- I think that that episode with you, that was a big turning point as I reflect on the year. So I want to express my gratitude to you. And uh, I think we did something pretty special. And it was because you showed up the way that you did in February. I'm feeling the juju in this episode. We'll see what happens. But uh, I do want to thank you. So thank you, Mayor West. Well, no problem. And I, that's very kind of you uh, to say. And, and I want to give you credit. I think you should take credit. I think what you have... Uh, done here is something pretty special and unique that I haven't seen um, replicated in the the media landscape, although others have, I think you've got imitators now, but no one can quite do it the way you do. And uh, we didn't know each other Mm -hmm. um, when I came in 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 February, but I felt at ease uh, with you. It just sort of flowed and it was very natural and Mm kind of like it's been today. Uh, And so you have a gift for sure. Uh, And, you know, I've, I've had the opportunity in the past year or so to be uh, interviewed by lots of different uh, folks now working for lots of different media outlets. And I mean, this always will remain my numero uno mo because uh, the ability to to come and to um, really have a conversation like I would with um, you know a, a friend mm-hmm. uh, you know and and to have it be um, you know free flowing I think is it's great and I think I agree with you I think 
people respond, uh, I think, to, to realness. I know, you know, there'll be lots of people who don't agree with everything that I say, and they shouldn't. Mm-hmm. I, I hope they don't, you know. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, as elected officials, we need to break out of this kind of stranglehold that political consultants have on elected officials that this is how you need to act this is what you need to say this is how you need to dress this is how you should look this is you know this 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 i mean take it easy on stockwell day already (laughs) i'm not talking about stock (laughs) i'm saying that's what the consultant would tell you that's right um yeah um but like yeah i'm i'm just thinking like just as a normal person like you've probably got like so many things like if you're an elected official and you've got some you know self-proclaimed guru telling you this is what you need to do to to win people over or connect with them like you've got like a million things going on in your head and you know it, it seems like in this day and age our politicians are so afraid of saying like the wrong thing, mm-hmm. um, they end up saying nothing at all. Yeah, you know, and that's it, the worst. And, and everything it's like robotic. Wouldn't I mean I've I've listened to interviews with elected officials where you know the question is like, okay, um, you know, two Canadians have been taken hostage by the government of China. They're subject to, you know, these horrible, uh, you know, basically torturous conditions, Mm -hmm. you know, reading glasses removed, haven't seen their family in, you know, in a year. You know, one of the Michaels has a newborn, hasn't seen his baby. Mm -hmm. Does that concern you? How would you respond? You know, does that concern you? Um, yes, well, I'm very concerned to hear that, and it's uh, quite concerning, and we're looking into it, and I'm concerned, and yes, very concerning. You know, and I'm like, <laughs> what normal person responds in, in such a way? So Who I gave that interview. I, I, well, I can't beat up on them anymore. <laughs> you said I couldn't. <laughs> Anyways, but the point I'm making is yeah. that, like, I get you don't want to be like flying off the handle or like, you know, but you are allowed to express emotion. You are allowed to be mm-hmm. human. You don't have to be a robot. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I also happen to believe that one of the the problems with our political culture is this rise of this unelected political consultant class that also exercise a, a huge degree of influence on politics and mm-hmm. you know are 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 shaping you know the conversations that you know we should be having or are stopping us from having some of the conversations we should be having and you know the, the their you know ideas about how you know what the public is going to respond to anyway i just think that whole um, I don't know whether you call it professionalization or or what it is it's not even that it's more like, it's like this, sanitization yeah it's just like I think it's been a, a very negative thing for our, our politics mm-hmm. and so um, you provide an opportunity to like just break through that mold and for elected officials to be able to express themselves and to to share their thoughts and not have to be thinking about, you know, parsing every single thing and like, you know, 
you know, going to a thesaurus and like, what's another word for this that sounds less like, I mean, say what you mean, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I have found in my interaction with people, you know, even those who who disagree with me, um, you know, and, and maybe strongly disagree with me, you at least get respect for saying what you mean, mm-hmm. you know, meaning what you say. Um, and I think we need more of that, more honesty, more real discourse, and, and not this kind of fake sort of stage sideshow that we we seem to get. Yeah. And that's what the federal election that we went through felt like to mm-hmm. me. You know, it didn't feel real. Yeah. You know, um, so anyways, uh, I appreciate so much the opportunity that you provide for someone like me to to be able to do that. Well, thank you, and, and thank you for your your sweet words. I have to know: Are, are we going to do this again? I would love to. I mean, yeah. Uh, you know, I have an idea. You do, and you have it. I you, feel have like you, you shared this with me. I feel like I have, and and you ghost on me. Like we're, we'll be <laughs> we'll be texting, and then I'll drop this idea, and then suddenly you disappear. <laughs> now, there's a, usually a reason for that, and that would be it's like uh, it's Liam's bedtime. Sure. Um, <laughs> Or we've got a killer episode of Paw Patrol going on. Oh yeah, yeah. And you know, and, it's off the hook. I get it. Yeah. yeah. And you know, so here's my proposal. It's not on purpose. <laughs> no, I, I. That's totally fine. Here's my proposal. Vancouver Podcast Festival oh, 2020. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's going to be in November. We'll figure out when the dates are. Yeah. You want to do a live show? You want to close out this trilogy? Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. I'm, I'm going to bug the organizers tomorrow. Yeah. And say that we got this lined up. We're doing Return of the Jedi. <laughs> and it's a year from now. And you would think that, you know, we, we just talked for two hours now. You'd be like, what are these guys going to talk about? But as we prove this year, things still come up, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the one thing I am not uh, insured of, Mo, is opinions. Um, Great. So <laughs> as long as you want to keep hearing them, I'm happy to keep sharing them. I appreciate that. Brad, we haven't even talked about Port Coquitlam, so Let's, I'm, I'm going to let you it. have the last yeah. word. Tell me what's happening in Poco. Tell me what people should do when they visit Port Coquitlam, and also add in how they should follow you or Port Coquitlam events. Sounds good, and uh, I appreciate this opportunity because we have a lot going on in, in Poco right now. Um, and you know, I have kind of created for myself uh, the goal of making Port Coquitlam the best place in British Columbia to raise a family. Mm-hmm. And so, um, we just a couple of weeks ago uh, passed our uh, capital plan for the next two years, which really lays out the investments that the city is going to make. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really, really proud of it. There are going to be, uh, it, it actually is an unprecedented level of investment. So it's the largest investment the city's ever made oh, wow. in uh, neighborhood infrastructure, community amenities. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just recently opened uh, phase one of the new Port Coquitlam Community Center, mm-hmm. which I think I talked about 
last time I was here, we were still in construction. So we've got two more phases of happen of that happening. Cool. Uh, and it is like a state-of-the-art facility. Um, I think you would be hard-pressed to find anything like it in Metro Vancouver. Uh, so it's not only about recreation opportunities and the library and all that sort of stuff. It's really about community connections and, you know, places to go to connect with other human beings, which is a good thing that we need to do more of. Mm -hmm. So that is really awesome. We're in our capital plan. We're investing in park upgrades and new playgrounds and new uh, multi-use paths and uh, pedestrian connectivity. We're, we're doing a project to extend a, um, a pedestrian pathway right through the heart of our downtown uh, with a new public plaza that's part of uh, um, <clears throat> a joint development that we're doing with um, a private company. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of really interesting things happening. And you're, and, just, and you're also just adding like streetlights and crosswalks yeah, and, and stuff, right? And, and that's, you know, the other thing. And I've, you know, I've kind of, this has been my mantra since being elected mayor, um, getting the basics right. Mm -hmm. There are actual things that people send their tax dollars to city hall for. Yeah. Right? Like, and you need to be ticking those boxes and that's uh, st street lighting. So, you know, it's, when it's dark, you can see where you're mm -hmm. going if you're a pedestrian or a driver. Uh, sidewalks, you know, we had areas of the city that had been neglected, that didn't have basic core infrastructure like mm -hmm. sidewalks. So we're building those. Um, new crosswalks, we're doing some traffic calming in, in areas around schools and, and playgrounds to try and slow people down. That kind of core... Uh, infrastructure is what the city is primarily responsible for. Mm -hmm. And we have to meet that basic responsibility to our residents before we move on to the, you know, the the flashier or, or you know, perceived to be more exciting stuff. Sure. Uh, and so I'm really proud of the work that we're, we're doing on that. And I have had lots of feedback from residents that they're, they are noticing the investment and the difference that we're, oh, we're already. making. Oh, already? Cool. Yeah. Um, we, we have a really aggressive uh, plan. So we're, it, it's not, it's, the emphasis is on action and doing things and less on talking, um, you know, which I could, have offer some comments on as well because I think <laughs> government also loves to talk about things. Yeah. You know, and they love to have these very long, you know, consultations and where, you know, as far as I can tell, um, consultants make a fair bit of money. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, they, they just seem to be excuses for inaction. So, you know what I love about you? You talk on your own dime, but you do work on the taxpayers' dime. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you can right. talk all day. Yeah, for sure. But that's on your own time, your own dime. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's a plan very much focused on getting things done, mm -hmm. uh, getting um, getting down to work and delivering. So really pleased with that. And the final thing I want to just touch on a little bit more is our, our downtown. And so if you've ever been to Park Coquitlam, it has a really unique downtown. And it, mm -hmm. it's very, very distinct. Like, you know, you're in a downtown. You're not just like in the, you know, you, you know, you're somewhere um special. Mm -hmm. It's not like you could pick it up and it's, oh, I could be here or I could be here. I could be there. You know that you're in a, in a compact, uh, walkable downtown. And so we're really putting a lot of effort into, um, attracting new amenities, new businesses, 
you know, give people more reasons to come to downtown Poco and then stay in downtown Poco for like a, a, a day or an afternoon sure. or, or an evening. So I'm really excited about that work. Um, it, it really, again, coincides with the goal to make it the best place in the province to raise a family. Hmm. We have a lot of young families moving to Port Coquitlam. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are the types of things I hear from them that they want to see in the city. And so we're working really hard on on delivering those. Um, and so, yeah, I want people to come check us out. Uh, Port Coquitlam is... Great distillery there. Great distillery. And the best Thai food in Metro Vancouver. Ma now. How how can you beat that? (laughs) Right? How can you beat that? So anyways, um, check us out. uh, And uh, for people who want to follow me, uh, they can do so at Brad West Poco, P-O-C-O, on Twitter, uh, and Brad West Port Coquitlam Mayor on Facebook. Yeah. And that Twitter, people have to keep an eye on, because sometimes (laughs) you just drop these gems. It's amazing. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here. This was a lot of fun. We were we were on for two hours and it just kind of flew by. Totally did. I appreciate you being here. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. It's my pleasure. Thank you, Mo. People, first of all, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Festivus. Whatever you celebrate. I hope you're with your loved ones this holiday season. I appreciate you listening. And I just want to say it's a new decade. If you have a wild ambition, get on it. There are a million reasons not to do it. You just have to find that one that will keep you in that fire. And it'll take time, but it's going to be worth it. This podcast experience for me is an absolute trip. And I do it because I like creating this type of content. And every listener is just a bonus for me. And I appreciate you truly. And of course, I appreciate our guest easily. The guest of the year clocked in two monster episodes. Absolutely changing the game. He's my bro. He's going to be doing big things in this province and in this country. He is the mayor of Port Coquitlam. He is Mayor Brad West. And I am Mo Amir telling you that in a city where you can be anything, be colorful. Peace.